there's one thing more stressful than revision for students, and to be fair, us parents, then it's the actual exam period. Many of us will feel like life is on a knife edge at the moment, not quite knowing what to do for the best. Just how can we move past the fluctuating moods and bouts of anxiety and try to make this a productive period for our teens? Hello and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this, our third season of the podcast, we're chatting with parents, students and teachers to hear how things are going. Specifically, we're interested in the highs and lows, the trials and tribulations in the run-up to exams in 2022. We'll be covering everything from students who have trouble getting going to those who are burning the candle at both ends. Through these shared real-world experiences, I hope that you'll take comfort that you're not alone. And perhaps more importantly, I hope that you'll take away some insights and advice so you can support your own team so that they'll not just survive the exams, but thrive in the preparation. So if you're a parent, a carer or a teacher, be sure to subscribe. This week, exam seasons start in earnest, or maybe I should say start in anger. It's an important time, but also a tricky time to navigate the the mood swings and the emotions that our teams are going through. I think it's fair to say that all three seasons of the podcast have hopefully been building to this moment in time to to help you to support them. We've had episodes that range from coping with stress right the way through to the importance of nutrition and diet and concentration. So for this episode, I think as something a little different, in response to some of the common questions that the study buddy gets asked, I've cherry-picked a few of the gems from over the last 87 episodes, which I think should help you with some of the specific issues and topics that you might be facing right now. I think one of the common problems that we find at this point are parents looking at their children who aren't studying or or maybe aren't motivated to do an awful lot and just thinking that they don't seem to care. Now we looked at this before in an episode back in season two, episode 12 with Mark Roberts. We're looking at actually this might not be as simple as it seems and that not revising or not putting a lot of effort in seemingly isn't necessarily that they don't care. It's that more is going on underneath. Psychologists call it um, a self-worth protection strategy. This idea where you can tell yourself, if I didn't try, I didn't really fail. But deep down, they know this sense of disappointment. Um, boys who are full of bravado walking in to collect their results on results day saying, oh, I don't care. And then they kind of laugh because they got rubbish results when all the friends are there. You see them later and you can see that they are devastated. Um, there's very, very few pupils I've taught who didn't care about the results they got and didn't care about learning. Um, it can be it can be an act and it, it usually is an act. And you've got to helpfully give them tools to make them realise what will happen in a way that's non-threatening, but in a, it just making it clear that, that this path is not going to lead to good outcomes for you. Let's find a path that is going to lead to good outcomes. And of course, at the other end of the spectrum, we've got children who are increasingly anxious about what this means. And, and maybe over the exam period, they've set themselves up for eights and nines and, and really given themselves a, a high benchmark. Now, obviously, we've talked about this quite a lot in previous episodes. But one that really springs to mind for me and the advice of Amari Eccleston Brown, the homework guru, which was in, again, season two, episode seven, and was really looking at this idea of what it was that we parents should do if our child is aiming for these eights and nines 
should we be trying to inject what we might see as a, a cautious, protective realism and manage their expectations? No parent wants to set their child up for a fall. And you want to be responsible in kind of have, helping them to manage their expectations. But also you don't want to, as a parent, you don't want to take away the opportunity for them to, to leap in the first place, knowing that there might be a fall. And I think in, in writing my book, I spoke to lots of people. I spoke to many people far more expert and experienced than myself, right? And I spoke to psychologists. I spoke to mindfulness experts. I spoke to educators. And every single one of them, without fail, had something to say about the importance of allowing our children to fail and allowing our children to experience failure because that's actually part of life. And it's through actually experiencing those failures and then recovering from them that they're actually going to be the most happy and the most resilient. So, yes, don't sort of build them up and fill their heads with ideas that might be unrealistic. But at the same time, don't be too worried about trying to protect them from maybe going for that goal, going for that eight or nine, and then not achieving it. Sometimes, if not often, it can be really useful to try to understand where the sense of pressure comes from, uh, which is something we talked to Natasha Devon about in season two, episode two. When I wrote my last book, it was about exams. And the first thing that I did was I asked teachers why they thought there was so much pressure on young people to perform in their exams. And they unequivocally blamed parents. They said, all the pressure is coming from home. Then I asked parents and they said, it's their teachers putting too much pressure on them. Then I asked the young people themselves and they said, actually, both my parents and my teachers are telling me the same thing, which is that, yes, your exams are important, but they're not the most important thing in the world and to look after yourself and make sure you take breaks. This pressure is coming from me. It's self-perpetuating. In that episode, Natasha also goes on really interestingly to talk about some advice and some practical tips on, on what our students can do if they find themselves feeling a bit overwhelmed. And actually what Natasha talks about is something that came from uh, Sheru Izadi, who, of course, has, has featured on a couple of episodes herself, talking about changing habits. One of my best friends is uh, called Sheru Izadi. She's a, a habit change specialist. She used to work um, for the NHS as a key worker in addiction. And then she took what she learnt from the way that addicts recover and applied it more generally to um, the everyday habits that more people struggle with. And she, she wrote a, a really interesting book about it called The Kindness Method. But she, one of her catchphrases is, don't just do something, stand there. <laughs> because what she says is the healthiest thing sometimes that you can do when you experience an uncomfortable feeling is to just sit with it and try and work out why you feel that way um, and just work through it. Just like Natasha, love absolutely everything that Shru Azadi has to say. And I think such great advice there that we can help our children with. And thinking back actually to the episode with Amari, he really usefully, I think, expanded on this idea much more. Mindfulness is really an antidote. In the most simple terms, it's simply about choosing to be aware of this moment right now. And I really emphasize that word choosing because it's a choice to go, okay, what is going on? And in that case, it might be, what am I feeling? What thoughts are coming up? What am I noticing? And choosing to stick with that. And it's a repeated choice that you make because, of course, your mind takes you away, the thoughts take you away, and it's choosing to return to that present moment. Now, how does that help? Because obviously that's the people listening are going to go, okay, fine, but how does that actually help me? 
it allows you to deal with the things that come up. It allows you to be okay with the present moment rather than what we tend to do, which is to try and distract ourselves by whether that's Netflix or by being extra busy. And that's another one we have to be careful of by just making ourselves super busy to actually to try and drown out those thoughts. Many ways we have of distracting ourselves or we could just try and suppress the thoughts or we get locked into trying to fight the thoughts and say, no, you're not stupid. Yes, you are. No, you're not. And then we kind of all but do some sort of Jekyll and Hyde thing (laughs) talking to ourselves. So none of that is really very helpful. And certainly it doesn't really do much for our mental health or for our well-being. So mindfulness is really about, it's kind of this attitude of just accepting it. So John Kabat-Zinn, who's kind of seen as the grandfather of sort of Western practice of mindfulness, talks about laying out the welcome mat for these feelings. So it's kind of like going, okay, you're here, and I'm just going to sort of notice you. And if it sounds like I'm making it sound really simple, it is in as much as, it's not necessarily simple to do, but I think one of the things that mindfulness suffers from is that some people think that it's a really complicated thing. But mindfulness in in and of itself is very simple. It's simply choosing to go, hmm, I'm noticing that I'm feeling really anxious. So something I might tell students to do is go, well, let's, let's be curious about that. Where do you feel anxious? Is it in your stomach? Is it in your chest? What do you notice when you feel anxious? And did you notice what it was that first made you feel anxious? Was it when I said, was it when I mentioned the word GCSEs? Was it when I mentioned the fact that, hey, we're going to have to do some revision? What was it that was the trigger for you? And you go, ah, okay. And you begin to notice those things. Now, the bit that isn't simple about it, the bit that's difficult is it's difficult to change our habits. It's difficult to stay with these uncomfortable feelings, especially when we're in the practice, which most of us are, of running away from them in some way. But it is incredibly helpful. So is that, as you say, I mean, on one hand, that that sounds dead straightforward. Ah, All I need to do is recognise that I'm feeling anxious and, and, and then everything will be okay. But how do you get to that point where you can reach some some kind of um, eureka moment? Because I guess that there are different levels, aren't there? There's I'm I'm can transfer. I'm, I'm thinking I'm being anxious about this thing, but actually the real root of the problem is is something else. Yeah, exactly. And I think as you do it, you begin to realise those layers. So one of the things is that emotions tend to mask emotions. They're a bit like layers or of an onion, and you actually go oh, I'm feeling anxious, but behind that anxiety is fear. And behind that is a feeling that, hey, I'm not good enough. Behind that is a feeling that, you know, my mum or a teacher once said to me, oh, that I'd messed up or something like that. But, you know, you don't need to get to these kind of eureka moments. That's not really what it's about. You know, again, this idea that it's about having these mind-blowing epiphanies is also not really the point. So really, it's called a mindfulness practice for a very good reason, because it takes practice. And it takes, you know, and that practice doesn't need to be very complicated. I mean, studies have shown that simply two, three minutes of, you know, paying sort of attention to your breathing, kind of going in and out, has remarkable effects on on your psychology and, and begins to change the, literally the, the wiring of your brain. Actually, Amari, later on in that episode, gave a fantastic tip about a practical tool, a technique that you can use to really engage in this, in this mindfulness idea. And it was to breathe the square, I think he called it, where you picture yourself drawing the line up the side of a square while breathing out for four seconds. When you reach the top corner after four seconds, breathe in four seconds while you 
sort of trace your line, imaginary line along the top of the square, exhaling as you come down one side, inhaling again to complete the square. And actually, it's incredible. It really works. And then that takes, well, quite literally 16 seconds. And I think repeating that kind of idea really does help to to just sort of take yourself out of a situation that might be causing anxiety, might be giving you stress, and then help to sort of give yourself the peace that you might need to, to find a, a great solution. Of course, one of the most common causes of anxiety in our teams with the exams is that they worry about the consequences if they don't do as well as they need to or want to. And there can be a real temptation as parents to, to try to shield them from it, to wrap them up in, in bubble wrap and tell them that everything's going to be okay, it'll, it'll all be fine. Whereas in actual fact, what we've heard on a number of occasions from the always popular and sage-like Dom Thompson is, of course, that the paths are never straightforward. There's, there are ups and downs and we should encourage our children to look at it in those terms. Life is wiggly. It's not a straight line. And of course, it's completely understandable that for them, life feels like a straight path. They're going to go down it. They're going to get GCSEs, probably A-levels, maybe go on to uni or go into the workplace. Then they're going to get a job. They're going to meet someone. They might have children, you know, and it feels very linear to them. And of course, those of us who are a little bit older and greyer know that when you look back, wow, so many things might have gone wrong or differently. And if you'd done this, you know, you might have gone off in that direction direction. And we know that it's all about the bumps in the roads and the things that are wiggly, making it interesting. But actually, they can feel overwhelming and terrifying, those bumps and those wiggles, if you're not prepared for them. And so we can have really straightforward conversations that say, you know, things might not work out. Do you have a plan B? Have you thought about what you might do if that not saying it won't happen, you know, not about being negative. But if it doesn't work out, do you have a plan B? Have you thought about what you might do? And just having those conversations quite early on. It can start when they're quite young and they're kind of, you know, they're playing a match, you know, for their little football team or their netball team. And you say, and they're so excited because they're going to win. And you say, okay, that's great. But, you know, if you don't win, it's also not the end of the world. Just give it your best shot. So you prepare them not for negativity and it doesn't stop their competitiveness. It just makes them think that winning is not the be all and end all. And there are other possible options Mm. at the end of this match. And so I just think it is so important that we prepare them for that possibility that when and if things go wrong, they're ready to deal with it. But of course, I think one of the really important things right now is that although the outcome isn't the be all and end all and, and obviously life will still will still move on, it's not to say that they should consign their fates to some other force and some other power. And something we hear a lot, given that we are now in the throes of exam season, is whether or not it's too late to be doing anything and, and whether or not a team should just be resting up. Is there any point in in doing any more work? And although we've spent the last three seasons um, decrying cramming and and trying to encourage students to to do more earlier, little and often, Uh, actually we are at the stage now where there is still a good good amount of time that can be used to help our students to bolster their confidence and, and come in to the exam hall sort of ready to go and, and with more more content. And a lot of that is still the tips that we've heard in the past from the likes of Adam Boxer and, and Kate Jones. But something I really, uh, really cool on uh, when thinking about this is the episode with Patrice Bain, which was season two, episode 17. And she 
I think really set out what could be done even at this last minute. Of course, the episode was on retrieval and the idea that we should be doing this over a longer period of time. But I still think her concepts work when we're in this sort of last-ditch attempt phase. Too often, students study what they know versus what they don't know. And one of the keys is really helping students, your children, discriminate that important part between I know this, but I don't know this, so I need to focus on this. So the four steps is, first of all, make a judgment of learning. Do I know it or not? And so for my students, I would have them do a happy face or a star. The second step is answer all that you know. The third step is the first time you open your book or your notes, answer those that you didn't know, and then finally verify that what you thought you knew, you did. This might sound confusing if people are listening to it right now, but if you do go to powerfulteaching.org slash resources, Everything's right there, strategies for you to download. But getting back, so rather than having my students do flashcards, I would have them do retrieval cards. So as soon as they saw a word or a definition, they would make that judgment of learning. Do I know it or not? And then that step two, now retrieve it. Because sometimes students have an illusion that they think they know something, but they don't. And so another reason why I like using retrieval cards is that when students go to study on the card, they see if they had an initial question mark or a star, they knew it or they didn't. And they have this very simple method of studying what they didn't know that again is so much more efficient and effective. You can see the temptation, can't you, with going back over something you know because you feel good about yourself. I remember all about Oxbow Lakes, so actually I feel that just by rereading those notes and just congratulating myself a little that it's a job well done. And then something you talk about, this illusion of confidence that actually I'll do well because I've just sort of reinforced this myth. Presumably at the same time, though, you need to make sure thinking, being mindful of spacing that you don't only focus on those things that you have question marks over. If you know something, go over it three times, because if you answer it correctly the first time, it could be a fluke, right? (laughs) It was a good guess. And the second time, okay, yeah, I'm pretty sure I know that. But if you can nail it all three times, you've mastered that. You've got it. As I say, I just think there's there's so much in that that we can that we can use to try to direct our teams to to focus on the on what's important and using it. Hopefully, what we can also do is use this whole experience, the whole exam period for GCSEs to help turn our young people's attention much more onto the longer term benefits of, of revision and, and little and often and employ the whole armory that that Patrice talked about in in that episode. So revision is done now. We're sort of at the end of that stage and here we are now on the morning of an exam, either raring to go or regretting our choices. But something that we hear about quite a lot is actually a nice simple one. And it's, what should I do with my children in the morning? So should they be going back over flashcards? Should they be panicky reading through? And obviously that Anything that induces panic is bad at this stage. It can be quite comforting for many to to read back over notes, to uh, 
look at flashcards. And if and if that does give them a source of, sort of bolstering that confidence, then fantastic. But one of the most important things that you can do at the start of the exam day came in the form of chatting to Louise Mercier in season three, episode 17. So not that long ago, that episode, we looked at nutrition and broadly we were looking at how nutrition and diet can help with concentration and focus and, and all of these good things throughout the revision period. But she did also talk about the exam day. And this is certainly something that's helping to form the um, the, the breakfast menu of champions in the McGurl house. If you know there's a day where you need to be on your game and, and concentrate, ex breakfast maybe with whole grain rather than white bread, because whole grains contain B vitamins and B vitamins are very important for energy transfer. So, you know, blood sugar regulation, keeping energy stable, but also for brain health and development and for making a, a chemical in the brain that supports memory function. So B12 does that, as does vitamin C. So glass of orange juice, vitamin C, preferably with bits in because of the fiber, whole grain toast, B vitamins, complex carbohydrates, keep the blood sugar nice and stable, eggs, source of iodine, but also a source of phospholipids, which are really good in terms of an essential fat and EFAs, essential fatty acids. So there's a power breakfast to help you concentrate and get through the day and keep the blood sugar stable. Studying. If you're sitting down, you know, the attempt, then I remember this with my flashcards and all the rest. And about 10 minutes later, I'll be looking for something else to do. But if you're sitting down to do that, one thing that's always popular is that dark chocolate helps, but it does have to be dark. So dark chocolate aids, it's stimulating to brain tissue and it aids concentration, as do Brazil nuts because they're high in selenium. So a dark chocolate Brazil nut would be a really good steady snack. I'm presuming that's not the um like the the Cadbury's Bourneville type dark chocolate. You're talking about chocolate that's actually got No, that's not that's not dark. No, no. At least 70%. Oh wow. And if you're a milk chocolate or a white chocolate fan, that will taste very bitter to you, but you can adapt because you eat less. I say that. Somebody challenged me on that once and sat in an entire bar of dark <laughs> chocolate just to prove me wrong. But I, normally you eat less dark chocolate because it's more satisfying without needing to overindulge. But I, I'm wary of saying that now because somebody did prove me wrong on that. <laughs> I, I, I would have taken up that challenge, but it's a it's an audio podcast, so it wouldn't be. A, it'd be for no one's benefit, um, including, um, it seems, my own. <laughs> <laughs> There's no two ways about it. This can be an incredibly stressful period for, for our children. And also, though I joke about it quite a lot, it's a quite a stressful period for us parents as well because we can see what it is that our children are going through and we want the best for them, whatever guys that might take, depending on your parenting style. But the most important thing to remember, I find, is that our children should know that above all else, we're on their side throughout all of this. And when the results come along as well, of course. And as we've heard time and time again from any number of guests over our 87 episode run, is that no one knows our children quite like we do. And so I think we should be reassured by that. And I think we should just go with our instincts and what we think is going to be best if we find that they're struggling with motivation, if we find that they're becoming increasingly anxious. 
if you haven't already, then I think maybe just checking back on some of our old podcast episodes. I mean, the ones that we've talked about here are obviously great, but as are so many others that, that can really, I think, help to give you some pointers. And all of the podcasts are freely available on our website, thestudybuddy.com. And of course, whichever podcast player you're listening to right now, you'll, you'll find them all. So all that remains, I guess, for this particular episode is to say good luck. I mean, we don't really do that because as a business, we promote being well prepared. So we tend not to peddle the idea that luck's going to have any part of this. But I certainly hope that your own teens fare well in this stage and that they feel really well prepared and confident for whatever comes next. My thanks to you for listening. I hope you found this compendium of previous episodes useful. If you did, then perhaps you would be good enough to leave us a review and and maybe a five-star rating. It really does help us to reach other parents and who, just like the rest of us, are looking for making some sense of it all in the run-up to exams. Of course, please don't forget to share the link to this and other episodes on your social media weapon of choice. It's all greatly appreciated. There'll be another episode next week, so please don't forget to follow and subscribe to the Study Sessions podcast.